Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask you in this moment to stir our hearts and our minds and our lives as we think about the greatness of the person of Jesus Christ and all that he's done and all that he wants to do in our own hearts. Lord, open our minds and open our lives today as we hear your word and as we follow accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together one more time. Wow. Well, the most important thought or the most important commitment we'll ever make is related to what we think about Jesus Christ. A lot of people have a lot of different images when it comes to the person of Christ. People think a lot of different things. Some people think of Jesus kind of just as a baby that was born in Bethlehem and he's kind of cute and cuddly. Um, some people love the miracles of Jesus. Uh, they, they see Jesus kind of as an entertainer. In fact, if you read the Gospels, some people follow Jesus around simply because they wanted to see what's he going to do next. <laughs> and so sometimes we look at Jesus as an entertainer. Uh, sometimes he's kind of a mysterious figure of antiquity. Who really was that guy? You know, and people ask that question. Uh, people have many ideas about Jesus. Some people think Jesus is just a pushover. You know, somebody to give us a hug and tell us whatever we want to do is great. Others uh, see Jesus as somebody who's out to get them. Uh, one who scrutinizes our mistakes and takes careful, precise notes on all the mistakes that we make. Uh, others see Jesus as the out-to-lunch Jesus. It's kind of withdrawn and distant. Somebody who has a halo over his head and cannot relate to our situation. But last week, we kick off this, this little a mini-series within a series about the person of Jesus. And I, I really want to finish what we talked about last week. And I shared with you last Sunday that I had so many notes on this particular text of Scripture that we would have been here all week had I preached everything to you last Sunday. So we're breaking it up. Last week and this week, we're looking at the person of Jesus and who he is and how his strength and power can make a huge difference in our lives. And last week, we established that Jesus is my liberator. He sets me free. He's my reflector. He's the one that helps me see who God really is. He is my creator. He's the one who made me with purpose. He's the sustainer of my life, the one that holds me together. And I want to pick up on that beginning in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, as we see three more powerful things about the person of Jesus. And again, who you see Jesus to be is the most important, the most important decision or commitment that you'll ever make. So who Jesus is has a lot of relevance to our lives. It has huge impact, a huge impact on where we'll spend eternity and what God wants to do in our lives today. We've got to understand the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the letter to the Colossian church was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And Paul is writing to the Colossian church because people were confused about Jesus. By the way, people have been confused about Jesus for 2,000 years. I mean, ever since the day he was born to the Virgin Mary, people have been confused about Christ. And so Paul seeks to clarify who Jesus is and how his impact and influence in our lives can be so revolutionary. And he says, beginning in verse 18, that Jesus is my leader. 
Jesus is my leader. He refers to him as the head of the body. Look with me, if you would, there in verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in, say it with me, everything, in everything. And so Jesus is the head. Jesus is the brain, if you will. Jesus is is the leader. He's the one that's to direct our lives and to direct the church. Uh, the head contains billions of nerve cells that are arranged in patterns that, that lead the body to experience emotion, behavior, movement, uh, sensations, our heart rate, and our moods are all controlled by the brain. And last time I checked, there is no one that is living that doesn't have a head. Amen? Like, you got to have a brain. you got to have a head. This is mission control for the body. Jesus is called the what? He's the head. He's the head. He, he's the brain power. By the way, this takes a lot of pressure off of us because it's not up to us to run our lives and even to just make up things to do at the church. Our job is to look at the head. What does Jesus think about this subject? What does Jesus think about my life? What does Jesus think about this topic in our culture? That's the question that we're always asking at Edge Church. We're always asking, what would Jesus and his words say about, fill in the blank, whatever it may be? Because he's the head. He's the boss. Amen? He's the leader. He's the leader. He's the one that we're looking to. And you notice he's the head of the church, he says there. He's the head of the church. In other words... Jesus is the head of the church. The head of the church is not a committee. It is not a faction. It is not the staff. It's not even me as lead pastor. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. He's the one. He's the one. We're constantly deferring to him and looking to him. And the church has always been about Jesus. It's always been about him. And our job is to bring honor and glory to God and to, and to ask ourselves the question, well, what would Jesus think about this? He's the head. He's the brain. He's, he's the focus of everything that we do. Now, it's very fashionable to be anti-church. And there's a lot of antagonistic attitudes and spirits about church in our culture. People say sometimes, I love Jesus, I, I just don't like the church. But you know what? The church and Jesus are connected the church is the body, and Jesus is the head. Is the head and the body supposed to be connected? Last time I checked, it did. I think so. So we should love the church because we love Christ. Amen? Does that mean that the church is perfect? No. But we love the church because we love Christ. The church is also called the bride of Christ. Married guys, if somebody came up to you and said, I love you, but your wife is ugly, I can't stand your wife. You might punch them, right? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, that would be odd for somebody to come up and say, oh, man, you're just so awesome. Now, your wife, she's crazy. You know, I don't know about your wife. No, you ain't going to do that. Hopefully not. But when we say we love Christ, but we don't love the church, we're doing the same thing. I love Christ, I don't love the bride. I love Christ, I don't love the body. I love the head, 
I think the body stinks. They're all tied together. If you love Jesus, you got to love the church. You got to love it. Uh, and, and so we look to Jesus. Uh, the church is God's strategy to change the world. God came up with the church. Did you know that? The church is not a man-made organization. It's not like the key club. I mean, God, God sent the church because it is the bride of Christ and the church is to fulfill the mission of Jesus. So we love Christ and because we love Christ, out of love for Christ, the head, we love the body and they all work together. Now, Jesus has a really big head. Can I tell you that? It's a really big head. His head is so big that he can take care of your needs and your needs and your needs and people in other countries and other continents and, and, and people that speak other languages and other ethnicities. Jesus can take care of all the needs. He's got massive brain power, okay? He, 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 he can give wisdom to you and, and to somebody over here all at the same time. So you don't need to feel bad. You don't need to think, well, if Jesus is helping me, can he help somebody else? No, he's got lots of brain waves, man. He's the head of the church. He can take care of you and everybody else in this room and everybody else around the globe all at the same time. Jesus has a big head. And that's why he is to be first in everything. If you look back at verse 18, it says, Jesus is to be the focus over everything. He is the head. Jesus is to be the head of the family. Amen. We need moms and dads that want Christ to be the focus. Jesus is the, is the head of our future. Jesus is the head of our finances. Amen? I mean, he's to be first in everything. Not, not in some things, not in a few things, but he's the head of everything. And a lot of times when it comes to our finances, we spend our money and we do whatever we want to do financially, and then whatever's left over at the end of the month, we, we figure out, well, I'll give God a little chunk of that. That's not putting God first in everything. When Christ is first in everything, then what that means is the moment that we get paid, the first question we're asking is, what am I going to give to God? It's kind of like the other day my kids went to Chick-fil-A and they, they brought home some waffle fries. Do we have any waffle fry lovers here? Anybody waffle fries? Okay, yeah, I love those things. And they had been sitting out for a few hours and I ate one and I was so disappointed. Have you ever had a soggy waffle fry? It's not good. It's not good. A few years ago, we were getting Chick-fil-A to cater an event, and they said, we'll bring sandwiches and we'll bring chips. And I was like, I don't want your chips. I want your waffle fries. And they said, well, we don't, we don't you know, take waffle fries off campus to other events because they get soggy and they don't taste good. Well, I was reminded of that when I had that. It was kind of like what was left over. They're good when they come out of the little fryer thing, but if you don't eat them soon, they go bad really quick, Right? God doesn't want our old waffle fries. He wants the best. He's the first of everything. The first of everything. Our future, our family, our finances is Christ first. Our priorities is to be first of everything. Man, sometimes we get so focused on climbing the ladder at work or we get so focused on this pet project, we forget about the Lord. We can't do that. He's got to be first in everything. And listen, when Christ is first in everything, you will have his wisdom 
and his knowledge and his expertise imported into your life. I mean, by the way, Jesus has been helping people make decisions for a really long time. Would you agree with that? I can submit to you today that there's not one problem that you have in your life that Jesus has not helped somebody else with the same problem. He's got it covered. He's the brain. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the body. He's to be first in all that we do. He's the head of the priorities. He's the head of everything. He's the head. He's the head. But he's the leader who guides me. Check this out. He's also the filler who fills me. He fills me when I'm empty. I don't know if you came to church today on empty. Maybe some of us did. Do you ever feel on empty? Maybe life isn't going the way it was supposed to. Maybe you feel bored with your life. You're empty. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe financially you're not where you thought you would be at this point in your life. Maybe the relationships that you had so much hope for haven't really panned out. Maybe you even feel disappointed by God. And the result is an emptiness. I got some great news for you today. Christ is the one who fills us. He's the one who fills us. Look at this in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him. And the reason that Jesus is full is because God knew you and I were empty. And he knew that Christ could fill us up. The reason that Jesus was filled with the fullness of God, all fullness, by the way. Look at that again. He says all fullness. I mean, not some fullness, all fullness. All the fullness of God was imparted into Jesus. Jesus and God are the same. We talked about this last week. They're the same. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, they're all unique and distinct, and yet they're all the same too. It's one of the mysteries in heaven. I want to ask God about it with some greater clarity and some greater detail when I get to heaven one day. But the reason that Jesus is so amazing is that Jesus is God. It's not like God and then Jesus. Jesus was filled with the fullness of God. Everything that God was was imparted into Jesus. Jesus was everything that God was. Jesus is everything that God is. They're the same. And he's filled. And he's been filled up. Why? It says here, it pleased the Father. I mean, you know, isn't that beautiful? I mean, just to think about this, that it pleased God to fill Jesus because he knew that Jesus would fill us. And listen, if something pleases God, it ought to please us. Amen. So it pleased God to fill Jesus and it should please us that Jesus is filled because we can come to Jesus when we are broken and empty. And that's the way it works. The fullness of God collides with the emptiness of humanity in the person of Jesus. There's patience when I'm struggling. There's courage when I'm fearful. There's love when I feel shameful. There's purpose when I'm confused. There's pardon when I feel unworthy. There's forgiveness when I've blown it. When I feel defeated, I can still be victorious. All in the person of Christ. And here's another thing that's so amazing. Jesus is accessible. I mean, some of us in our mind, we see Jesus as kind of lofty, you know, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and we admire Jesus. But let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus? 
I know you respect what he did on earth, but did you know that you can have a connection with him? You can have a relationship with him. And that in doing so, your life could be filled. I mean, look at this right here. Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Jesus is accessible. And he's accessible because he loves you. He cares about you. He wants to fill your life up. Has there ever been a time in your life where you needed mercy? Has there ever been a time where you needed grace? we got to come to the altar. We come to the Lord in prayer. We come to the Lord in worship. We come to the Lord in study. We come to the Lord in meditation. We come to the Lord. And that's where we find mercy and grace in a time of need. See, when you have a time of need, a lot of times we go to everything else but the Lord, the true source, the head. We got an opportunity to have access to Jesus. It would be amazing if Jesus was just sitting in heaven, you know, watching the planet and the universe. You can be connected to him, man. You can have access to Jesus. In fact, when you read the Gospels, people had access to Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, there was a woman who had been bleeding. She was sick and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And she was immediately healed. She had access. In Mark chapter 10, there's a, a blind man who couldn't see, but he was crying out to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. He had access. <laughs> Isaiah 53 says he bore our infirmities and he carried our sickness. Access. See, we don't need a priest. We don't need a philosopher. We don't even need a ceremony or an experience. We need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. That's who we need. And Jesus is the one in the time of need that will fill our hearts and in our lives. That's why we turn to him. That's why he's the head. That's why he's the filler. And that is why he is the great reconciler that reconnects us with God. Now, when you read the book of Genesis, you see that in the beginning that sin entered into humanity. And all of us as human beings have a problem. The problem is the, is the word sin. we got a big problem. And the middle letter of the word sin is the letter because all sin begins with I. It really is. we got a big problem. And that divides us. That, that has separated us from God. In fact, Paul says here in Colossians chapter 1 that we are rivals with God. Look with me in verse 20 right here. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Now, a couple of words are used here to describe our relationship apart from Christ. We were alienated, okay, which just simply means estranged or away from. And he says enemies. I mean, most people don't think, I'm an enemy of God. But we were hostile to God in that we were living for self. We were living for sin. 
We were doing our own thing rather than coming to the Lord. We had a rivalry with God. Did you know you were a rival of God before you met Christ? You were a rival with Him. We see rivalries everywhere we go, don't we? How many of you love a great rivalry? Isn't that good? Some of us? Broncos, Raiders? Oh, yeah. People are like, oh, I circle that one on the calendar every year. I love that. It's awesome. We love rivalries. Rivalries are amazing. We got tech rivalries. Who's the greatest tech company? Amazon, Google, Facebook. Who will it be? Who's going to dominate the world? We have rivalries with sneakers and, t- and, 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 and athletic gear. Adidas or Nike. How many Nike people do we have? Do we have some Nike people? You love Nike? How many Adidas people? Anybody? Okay, yeah, all right, several of us. I got both, but I like Nike better. They're rivals. They're always going head to head trying to outflank each other. Well, we were an enemy of God. We were a rival of God before we met Christ. And guess what? We changed teams. When I was in high school, I went to a certain school when I was in the ninth grade. And I was playing on the basketball team. And I didn't feel like the coach was letting me play as much as I wanted to. And I had some friends that went to a rival school. I mean, like the arch rival school. And... The program, the basketball program at the Art Travel School was like par excellence. It was outstanding. Three state championships in a row, uh, conference championships. I think that, that the other school had won like seven or eight conference championships in a row. Completely dominated the basketball of our little league. And I thought, you know what? I got a lot of friends at that school. I may transfer to that school. I may do that. I went and watched as a ninth grader the two varsity teams, the school that I was currently attending and the school I was thinking about going to. And I went and watched the game and the school that I was thinking about going to beat the team that I, the the varsity team that I, of the school I was currently attending by 50 points. Can you believe that? I mean, it was what we call a whooping 50 points. And that team went on to win another state championship. And so I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take off the blue and white and I'm going to put on some red. And I went and played for the rival school. Now, when I was a junior, I was on the varsity team and uh, we went back to play at the, the school that the, I had left, the, the, the conference rivals, you know. And there's all my friends are on the other team. There's all these kids in the stands that I went to class with. People are calling me names that I could not repeat at church, would not be appropriate. I mean, the gym is packed. It's their team or our team that's going to win the conference championship that, that this year. It's kind of, you know, the rivalry is at the apex. It's crazy, crazy energy. I got a little fired up. I mean, you know what? You want to go back and beat your old team. I mean, I hear NFL guys say, well, you know, it's just another game. No, it's not just another game. It's not. I went out and had the greatest basketball game of my entire career that night. I scored more points that night than any other game. It was awesome. Our team went on to become state runner-ups, and I was so glad that I changed teams. It was a great decision. I think what Paul's saying here is that you and I, in Christ, need to change teams. We need to take off the uniform of the old team, sin and self, and put on the uniform that has been dipped in the blood of Christ and that has been redeemed. We need a new head coach. 
We need a new leader. His name is Jesus. And we're now under his leadership and under his authority. We once were rivals. We once were far off. But now we have been brought close by the blood of Christ. Amen? Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah, we were once enemies. And notice here's the words that describe us once we are in Christ. We are reconciled, which means to be brought back together. We're holy, which means set apart or or consecrated to God. We're without blemish, uh, meaning blameless or unblameable. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, animal sacrifice was practiced. And you read about this in the book of Leviticus. When people sinned, they had to bring animals. And animals had to die on the, uh, die on the altar there to, to redeem people. That's why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So people would bring the animals. But you never brought, you, you never brought like the four-eyed cow or the three-footed donkey or goat to the Lord. You always brought God the best. Right? And Leviticus talks about this. You don't bring the animals with defects or like the 80-year-old bull that's about to kill over and die. Oh, I'm going to give that one to God. They didn't do that. They always brought the best to be sacrificed. Well, without blemish. And this is what's being referenced right here. When Paul says without blemish, he's talking about not being stained by sin. And even though we have sin, God sees us as not having sin because we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We've been put in right standing with God. So we've been reconciled. We're holy. We're without blemish. We are free from accusation. Free from accusation. So what does all this mean? Where, where, where do we go with all this? Well, in verse 23, the apostle wraps up all of this stuff about Jesus. I mean, Jesus is my reconciler. He's my sustainer. He's my creator. He's my leader. He's my filler. There's all this great stuff about Jesus. And he wraps it up in the 23rd verse in this little section. He says, but listen, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firm in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached over all the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Uh, he, he says there, look, um, you know, d you, you don't drift away. Don't drift away from this. Don't forget who Jesus is. Uh, we, we have a lot of people coming to Christ in our church, which is very exciting, and we love that. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we see people drift away from the Lord as well. Sometimes people come to the church and are like so excited every time the doors are open, they're here and they're bringing friends and they're serving and they're participating. And I mean, it's just raw enthusiasm. It's like they cannot get enough of it. Whoa, Jesus. Yeah. But sometimes that enthusiasm can kind of wane a little bit. Sometimes that fire can be diminished. How does that happen? By drifting, drifting, drifting. If you've ever been on a canoe, you know that it's very easy to drift, isn't it? We were on Lake Dillon last summer. We stopped paddling for just a moment. The canoe's going the whole other direction. The current, the wind, man, it was nasty. It was fierce. To get our canoes turned around was like a monumental achievement. It's easy to drift 
is, is hard to paddle, isn't it? Drifting happens kind of gradually. It's unexpected. I don't think most people who are fired up for the Lord wake up one morning and just go, you know what? I just want to forget about God. I'm done with this. It's gradual. It's a gradual thing. Maybe you're looking at your spiritual life today and you realize, man, you're not where you are spiritually the same place that you were three years ago or five years ago or even six months ago. You've just gradually drifted and you wonder, well, how did I get way over here when I used to be over there? You just drifted. You just drifted away. Paul says, listen, the way that you drift is you forget about who Jesus Christ is in your life. You forget that he's the filler. You forget that he's accessible. You forget that he's the head. You forget about this. You, you forget about that. You just gradually begin to drift away. And we become complacent and apathetic and distracted. Sometimes we just forget about the greatness of Jesus. Sometimes we just forget. I don't want you to be a one-hit wonder for Christ. Gina and I were having fun last night. We were looking on the VH1 website, greatest one-hit wonders of all times. You know, they used to do those shows. I don't know if they still do them or not, but, you know, where are they now? And they would talk about the bands and then where they went. Well, they had a whole one-hit wonder. A one-hit wonder, if you're not into pop music, is like the group that had the one big song, but then you never heard from them again. And one of the top ten Top 10 one-hit wonders of all time, Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. It was released in 1990. You know what? The 30-year anniversary of Ice Ice Baby is coming up next year. It's going to be awesome. Some of you remember Vanilla Ice. Some of you are like so young, you don't even, you're like, Vanilla Ice, who's that? Vanilla Ice. And you remember he ripped off that little riff from the old Queen song and said it was his own? Anyway, it was a whole controversy. Vanilla Ice, top song, the hottest pop artist in the world. I mean, it's going crazy. Ice, ice, everywhere you go. Ice, ice, baby. People are going crazy. Well, he tried to write another record. Nobody cared. Crashed and burned. One hit wonder. Vanilla Ice got so discouraged, he actually tried to take his own life. It's pretty sad. Now, he's on the DIY network. He's flipping houses, for crying out loud. I'm like, what does Vanilla Ice know about installing cabinets? Come on now. You're a rapper, man. He started here, he ended up there. Man, God doesn't want us to be just one-hit wonders. People who just get all spiritually motivated for a few months, maybe a year or so, and then we fade away. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We've got to keep our focus on the Savior of the world, the head, the boss, the reconciler, the liberator, the reflector. The creator, the sustainer, the leader, Jesus Christ. That's how we do it. We stay focused on him. We've got to get our eyes on him. We've got to get our eyes off of our problems and back on Jesus so we don't drift and drift and drift so we can keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Would you join me in a word of prayer?